Ruth chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, uh, it is provided for you in your worship guide that hopefully you received uh, downstairs at the table, at the welcome table when you arrived. Uh, In addition to worship guides down there, there are also uh, little books that we are giving away um, uh, that uh, you can read or read and pass along to somebody that you want to uh, share the hope of Christmas and, and the and the true meaning of Christmas and the power of Christmas and the coming of Christ and what what the significance of that is for us. Is it, a, is it something that uh, is just cause for us to gather with family or gather with family in a non-pandemic time? Or uh, is, it a, is it something that causes us to give uh, gifts to one another? And yes, that is part of the joy and the wonder of Christmas, but there's a deeper purpose, a deeper meaning behind it. And uh, this book helps to explore that and not only helps to explore the deeper meaning of Christmas, but also helps to explore the deepest reaches, reaches of our own hearts and invites us to engage with the God who has come to us, Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. So those are free and those are available to you down on the table uh, in the lower lobby. Uh, feel free to help yourself to one of those or help yourself to uh, a couple of those if you want to pass them out, uh, along to a family member or to a friend or neighbor or coworker if you want to do that. Anyway, this morning... We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, and if you're following along in your bulletin or in your own Bible, we're going to make our way through, uh, Lord willing, through the whole chapter, and uh, I trust that in this we are going to uh, see yet again the faithfulness of God, and at times in places and in ways that we would not expect it. Uh, faithfulness of God in times and places and ways that we might not expect it. But before we get into God's Word, I want to ask you a question. If you were, it's kind of a time for lists. It's a time for a season, or it's a season of lists. Now, you might think that sounds odd. Let me, allow me to explain myself. Last week, I took three different trips to the grocery store in about a 12-hour span because I kept thinking I could remember everything that I needed to get when I should have written those things down on a list. Some of you perhaps have been asked by loved ones, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Give me your list. And so you write those down or you think about what you want to write right down and, and you hurriedly uh, try to get those to mom and dad or grandpa and grandpa or whomever in hopes that your Christmas list can find a little fulfillment before December 25th. The time for lists. But sometimes we forget those things, like when you're going to the store, and other times we don't forget those things, like when we're asking for gifts. And, but sometimes even when we're asked for Christmas gifts, like, what do you want for Christmas? Sometimes we can have a hard time thinking, oh, I, I don't know. Let me think about it for a little bit. But I want to ask you to think about another kind of list that maybe you haven't thought of before. But I want to do this at the outset of our sermon today. If you had a pen and paper in your hand, which you very well possibly do, or if you had a notepad in your hand or something where you could write down a list, I'm not telling you to do this, but just do it in your head. Something none of us would have a hard time coming up with our list for is this. If we could tell God what we want him to do in our lives. We could tell God how we want him to work in a situation that's looking uncertain with a job or a career prospect. Or a situation that's looking uncertain with just life and finances or school or family or whatever might be going on in your life. If you could write down on that list, God, here's what I want you to do. Think in your own head. What would I write down? And as you think about that, it can be more than one thing. But as you think about that thing or those things, I know I have some in my own mind. Why don't you just file those away? 
Because this morning we're going to explore and we're going to look at Ruth 2 and we're going to see how God not only meets our needs, not only addresses us where we are and, and meets us in mercy and in grace, but how he meets the needs that we feel we have, but in ways that are at times far beyond our comprehension and far beyond what we would plan or what we would ask or what we would even think to note as something we need from him. But when he does that, it all comes around and comes full circle and shows us his care for us, shows us his goodness to us, and shows us his grace that is given to us in Christ. But don't take my word for it. Let's read the book of Ruth. Particularly, let's read Ruth chapter 2. Now, I want to add a little context before we insert ourselves into the middle of the story. And I I, want to remind you briefly from chapter 1 of Ruth. Last week, we met a woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-law named Ruth. Naomi was an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. So these were two backgrounds of people that did not get along. Naomi and her family had moved from Bethlehem in Judea, in Israel, to Moab uh, because Bethlehem was going through a famine and life when times were just very hard. So they move there, and they get to Moab, and things for Naomi, her life falls apart. Within 10 years of her and her husband and two sons moving there, her husband Elimelech passed away, her sons Malon and Kilion, they married women from Moab, both Malon and Kilion passed away. So Naomi was left with herself and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth, and a woman named Orpah. Orpah eventually turned back, but Naomi, hearing that the famine is over in Bethlehem, begins to journey back to Bethlehem, and Ruth refuses to leave her side. Ruth is this just model of, 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 of um, steadfast, courageous faith in the God of Naomi, the God of Israel. And Naomi is a woman who her faith has not departed entirely, yet her faith was in some ways teetering on the brink as she was, rec- uh, as she was reckoning with loss of her husband and sons, as she was reckoning with the tragedy that had befallen her. And she was going home back to Bethlehem. So now Ruth and Naomi have settled back in Bethlehem. And we pick up in chapter 2. At the outset of their time in the city, they need food. They need provision. They need a husband, or at least one of them needs a husband. So this is where we find ourselves. Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Follow along silently as I read. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to them, or said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. Though I am one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she arose to when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out. Uh, some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, leaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We oftentimes underestimate underestimate the vast reach of God's faithfulness. We can know that his faithfulness to us is working for our good in both natural and supernatural ways. Let me repeat that. We oftentimes underestimate the vast reach of God's faithfulness, of his work towards and in our lives. But we can know that his faithfulness is working for our good in both natural and supernatural ways. This morning we're going to see this explained out, fleshed out in the story of Ruth as she meets Boaz. And we're going to see three things here. First, we're going to see our needs. Then we're going to see God's faithfulness. And lastly, our good. Our needs, God's faithfulness, our good. So first, when we consider our needs, 
we look at the needs of Ruth and Naomi. Like I stated a, a few moments ago, they've arrived back in Bethlehem. Their most pressing need right now is food. And then beyond that, there's also a, a more long-term need that it would be really good if Ruth could get married off. Now, we'll get into the reasons behind that in a moment, but just take my word for it for the time being. So you look at the needs and you look at picking up in verse 1, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was her husband, and there was this man who was an extended family for an extended part of, of, of the clan of Elimelech. And this guy's name is Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, notice how the author just says there, Ruth the Moabite, just reminding us yet again, Ruth, an immigrant, a refugee, uh, somebody from the other side of the tracks, somebody who doesn't belong with these people in Bethlehem. Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So you might read this and think, okay, what does it mean to go glean in the fields? Is she going to go become a, a worker on Boaz's farm and harvest the crops? And not really. So, so what it was is at the end of chapter one, we read that uh, in Bethlehem, the barley harvest was just beginning. And so Boaz does seem to own a, a, a good share of land. And so as his uh, workers are working to uh, uh, harvest the crops, what Old Testament law instructed the, the, the people of Israel to do was to leave around the edges of the land, leave uh, some crops uh, untouched, so that, that, that those who were poor, those who were outcasts, those who were uh, immigrants or sojourners or foreigners who were passing through, so that they could grab some food and, or grab some of that crop in order that they might have food to eat. That's what the Old Testament law instructed. And so Boaz, who uh, in verse 1 describes him as a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Now that's an interesting term, right? Worthy man. Not many of us describe people in that way in this day and age, right? that it, it sounds a little off. You don't introduce, you know, you, you might start dating a guy and think, oh, and, and, and start wanting to tell family or friends about him and say, oh, you know, um, Billy, he's just such a worthy man. That, that, how would you describe him? You might describe him as smart. You might describe him as, as uh, uh, accomplished. You might describe him as, as uh, uh, sensitive, as kind, as self-sacrificing, as maybe strong, handsome, all sorts of things. Well, this term worthy man is actually an all-encompassing term in the original Hebrew language to explain this is what Boaz is. Boaz is. If you were watching The Bachelor and Boaz was, or The Bachelorette and Boaz was on it, he would not be one of the ones initially cut off. He would pass the initial eye test. He's a man who seems to have a lot of money, seems to have high character, seems to be in a good state. So that's what our author wants us to know. Boaz is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean ears of grain after in, in his fields. So Ruth is doing what is in our modern day the equivalent of it as if she was carrying a trash bag full of aluminum cans. And she's collecting them, hoping to get enough so that she can go to the recycling center at the end of the day and cash them in and maybe stop by McDonald's on the way home and buy some dinner for her and Naomi off the dollar menu. That is what Ruth is doing here. Ruth, this woman of profound faith, as we see in chapter 1, is now 
going and working vigorously in order to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. So Naomi sends her out. And then we get to verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And then as you read this, it says, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. One thing to note in the book of Ruth is that the narrator uh, has various times and various places where uh, he wants you to see, and he like shines spotlights on these various places and says, this is something important to see. So when you see Boaz described as a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, that's something that, hey, I want you to see that. But then here, it's, it's like in, in modern language, as if, as if a, a storyteller was saying, and as luck would have it, Ruth happened to come across Boaz's field where she was going to glean. But we would hear that and we would say, no, that is not just luck would have it, right? The narrator is saying there's this divine actor who is bringing all of the pieces together, even unbeknownst to them. And we happen to be sitting in the audience watching the show, and we know ways that it's transpiring in which the actors do not know. And that is what is happening here. And so one thing we start to see is that God knows the needs of Naomi and Ruth. You remember back in chapter 1, Ruth, this model of great faith, Naomi, this model of the faith on the brink. Wherever they find themselves, wherever you find yourself, God knows your need. I ask you to write down in your head, what would you say to God? Here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's where I find myself in life. God knows. Sometimes God brings us to fields where we're gleaning. We're walking down the side of the road, picking up aluminum cans, and we say, God, is this what you have for me? It seems as if life has taken a turn at some place, and I don't know how to get back on track in the direction I wanted to go. Well, God knows our needs. God brought Ruth to the field of Boaz. I'm going on. Boaz arrives in verse 4. He came from Bethlehem and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servants who were in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. So she said, Please let me glean and gather among their sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has... Continued until from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So we get Ruth is working hard. Boaz notices. And one of the first things to note about Boaz is, is if you remember back in chapter one, uh, some of these introductory remarks of uh, these these people, these significant characters we meet in the story. These introductory remarks serve to introduce us to the character and to the nature of that person. So Boaz, this worthy man, arrives. And the first thing he says to his workers is the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. It's an interesting way to start the work day. Does your boss walk into the office and start the day like that? And then everybody kind of bounces their heads up out of the cubicles like whack-a-moles at an arcade and say, the Lord bless you, the Lord bless you. Boaz is a man who truly believes that which he worships on Sunday morning. And it has impacted his attitude and his conduct towards his employees. It's also impacted his attitude and his conduct towards those who are sojourning in the land like Ruth. Boaz brings Ruth near in verse 8, and he says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. 
Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So look at this here in verse nine or, 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 or verse eight and nine. Boaz brings Ruth near. Boaz, this, this big business owner who has lots of land and has all these. It, it's the middle of the harvest. It's busy season uh, around the office. And he brings this immigrant woman near and he says, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And you stay near my daughter for your protection. And then we see Boaz institute what is thought to be the first ever workplace harassment policy. When he tells the men who work for him, listen, there is to be no, uh, no, nothing unkind or nothing uh, inappropriate towards this woman who is gleaning in the field. Boaz truly is a worthy man. And he invites Ruth, when you get thirsty, feel free to drink that which my employees are drinking. Help yourself to what they have. And then we see Ruth's reaction. Ruth, who is aware of her great needs, she's beginning to see God's faithfulness in the midst of those needs. When in verse 10 it says, she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Let's pause right there. Ruth is struck by the kindness of a man that has no obligation to her. There's nothing that she could give to him. There's nothing that, that that she could pay to him. There's nothing that he needs business wise that she can offer. And yet Boaz is this man who meets her in her great need and meets her with mercy. In one sense, Boaz and Ruth will, you'll see it as we work our way through the rest of the book a little today and then in the next two weeks. But you'll see Boaz and Ruth as these great models of the faithfulness of God. Great models of faithfulness that we are to strive to pursue after. But like all biblical characters, They are, well, all of them apart from Christ, they are meant to point us towards Christ. And one of the searing things about God's word, we don't see it much with Ruth and Boaz, which is quite interesting, but one of the searing things about God's word, when we see characters that we would say, oh, this is one to emulate, this is one to act like, this is one to be like, this is one whose life and and pattern, or, or life to pattern yourself after. We also see some of the failures some of their shortcomings, some of their sin against God, some of the evil that they commit. And so what we see in, in, throughout Scripture and Ruth and Boaz and everywhere else is that the characters that we see, the models that we have before us are meant to point us towards the perfect model of godliness and faithfulness, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we don't have a Boaz who's, who's going to walk through that door today and is going to be held up for us to emulate and to model ourselves after. But what we do have as the people of God is that we have Christ who has come to us, one who is more worthy than Boaz, one who is more sacrificial than Boaz, and one who can work greater good in our lives as he knows our needs, as he knows where you find yourself on this day when you have a big smile on your face, but your heart is frowning. God's faithfulness is displayed to us in one greater than Boaz who has come to us. Listen to what Boaz says to Ruth in verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This language is unbelievable. Boaz knows exactly what Ruth has done. She's come to the God of Israel to take refuge. Have you had a largely transactional relationship with God? Thinking you worship Him, you come to church, you give, you, 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 do, you help the poor, you, you do the things that maybe you think you ought to do. And in exchange for that, He kind of holds up His end of the bargain. He's supposed to keep you healthy, He's supposed to keep you safe, take care of your loved ones. Help life to go smoothly. Maybe that's not how you've thought about your relationship with God, but maybe hard times recently or hard times in the last few years or whatever. You've had times where you, you the, 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 the trajectory of your life hit turbulence that really rocked you, and you started to realize that you were accusing God of being unfair, of not holding up His end of the bargain. And perhaps the attitude that we all must have is one like Ruth and the one that Boaz commends where we don't make bargains with God, but we come to God for refuge. We come to God in order to live. We come to God in order to find new life in him and through him. Boaz tells Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then Ruth follows up in verse 13. She says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Look at that word favor in verse 13 and then bounce back to verse uh, 2. If you look back at verse 2. Ruth tells Naomi, her mother-in-law, I'm going to go to the field and I'm going to glean among the ears and and hope I find favor with somebody. I'm going to go pick up the cans. I'm going to go beg for food. We need food, Naomi. I just hope I find favor with somebody who will show mercy to us. And then you look at verse 10. Ruth, seeing that Boaz is showing her this favor, she falls down before him and says, why have I found favor in your eyes? And then verse 13, she says, I have found favor in your eyes for you have comforted me. Spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. If you do not know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, may I urge you to come to Him. Come take refuge under His wings and know that there is favor found in Him. He is not a wealthy business owner. He's your creator. He is the God who rules over all the world, over all the universe. He has created all of us, and he holds all things in his hand. And he invites us to come and live in him. To come inside from the cold and to know that we are welcomed with a welcome even greater than that which Boaz gives Ruth. Interesting that Boaz greets his servants back in verse 4 where he greets them with the Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. That's what they say back to him. At Christmas we commemorate Christ's coming. We remember Christ's coming. We celebrate Christ's coming. The Lord being with us. Boaz knew he wasn't God. But he knew God was with his people. And you may realize how much you need God. Christ has come to be with us. Would you look to him in faith?
Even I'd love to speak with you about this if you have questions about what it means to know God and know Christ. Love to speak with you even after our service. So, there's a lot going on. And we reach verse 14. Some might say this is the first date of Ruth and Boaz. Follow as I read verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Isn't that a romantic first date? They ate grain together, some bread, wine. Oh, the grain was roasted, not just grain. I mean, it was a fancy meal. And just all the co-workers are there, too. It's in the break room at work. Boaz welcomes Ruth to the table of his provision. Boaz truly is one who points us towards Christ, is he not? So, we'll get more into where Ruth and Boaz are heading later on in the book, but let's start to wrap ourselves down and see not only our needs and God's faithfulness, but how he works his faithfulness for our good. Resuming in verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an uh, ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought, also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And so picture Ruth coming back. This ephah, or the ephah of barley is about somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds. Ruth goes to work hoping to get enough that she can maybe bring scraps home so that her and her mother-in-law don't go to bed entirely hungry. And she comes home with a big 30-pound sack of food over her shoulders. And in the other hand, she's got a doggy bag from dinner at the, at the boss's house. And her mother-in-law's like, where, where, where did all this come from? You've done good, Ruth. And her mother-in-law says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, listen to this. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now let's just pause here because this is something that I want us to see as we start to conclude. Naomi's been largely absent this chapter. You remember Naomi's last time she was speaking in chapter 1? She was accusing God of his hand being against her. He had made her bitter. He had turned her life empty. Now she is praising God. Because this man whom the Lord has sent has not forsaken the living or the dead. So I asked you originally, what would you write on that list of things you want God to do? I want to ask, what is it God does? He might meet those needs. He might not. He might work in ways that are not directly what you would ask or what you would anticipate. But here we see in Naomi what God's purposes are behind his act. 
Remember I said, he works not only in meeting our needs naturally, but he works in meeting our needs supernaturally. He has provided for Naomi and Ruth in a manner by which Naomi's heart has turned back to worshiping her God. And that is the aim of God's work in my life, in your life, in our life as a church. Not to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise, but to turn our hearts towards worshiping Him. And to turn our hearts towards gladness that has come after the sorrow that we may be experiencing lift. So Naomi says to her in the latter part of verse 20, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now you see that word redeemer. We're going to get into this in the weeks to come, but just file it away as something where where this was a man who could provide for, protect, and um, uh, bring and, and, and meet all of the needs of Ruth and Naomi and their family. Here's a man who could welcome them in from the cold uh, socially, welcome them in from the cold uh, literally, and welcome them into the family when they were outcasts and were apart. So we'll get into it more later on, but just know this is a man who could bring all of their needs. He could fulfill all of their needs. And Ruth the Moabite says in verse 21, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finish the harvest. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, which was actually another seven or eight weeks. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And we are left to pause here, seeing that God has turned their hearts back towards him, particularly Naomi's heart. So as you think about the needs that you carry in today, You think about the needs that you consistently carry before God and say, God, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. Would you please act in this way? Know that he hears. Know that he calls us towards faithfulness. He calls us towards humble obedience and submission towards him. Ruth and Naomi didn't just sit there twiddling their thumbs. We don't really know what Naomi did. Maybe she did sit there and twiddle her thumbs. But Ruth faithfully went out faithfully acted in accord with all that the Lord had laid before her. And the Lord provided and met their need. And as we think about Christmas, we think about the fact that before we even knew or could articulate what our greatest needs are, God sent one greater than Boaz to invite us to the feast of His grace. That we may not just eat roasted grain, but that we may eat bread of life. Christ who awakens our souls from deadness in sin and gives us new birth. Christ who welcomes us as outcasts, as Moabites, and he welcomes us into the Israel of his family. And Christ who does not tell us to go out and glean. But he went out and died in order that we might live. Would you pray with me? The Lord, as we consider Christ, this one greater than Boaz, we pray that you would help us to see that our needs might look different in your eyes than ours but to see that your way of addressing us, your way of meeting us, 
where we are is to meet us in Christ. So Lord, help us to grow in faithfulness, in communing with you, and surrendering ourselves before you in prayer, and taking our needs before you, and help us to do this in a manner by which we are fueled by Christ, and in a manner by which we recognize that our great need is to trust in you, and to have our hearts glad in you, and to know that you will meet all of our tangible needs in this life. It might be in ways we don't anticipate. It might be while we're picking up cans on the side of the road. But it's a gift of mercy. And it's a gift of mercy because you have given us yourself. And you have come to us that we might live. Lord, we pray this all through Christ. And in his name, amen.